Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Rachel, we are so excited to have you here today. We can't wait to dig into such sharp teeth. Can you tell us inspiration for this very interesting feministic werewolf story? I got the idea where I get most of my most genius ideas, which is (laughs) in the shower. And I was thinking about how much of a pain it is to have a body and how much work it is and it never gets any easier. And I kind of thought it would. And it's, you know puberty and then you're in your 20s and you're like is this is the best it's gonna get and it is but you don't realize it then (laughs) by the time you appreciate your body it's like oh well now you slept on your neck funny and your life is ruined like it just it's a lot and I was thinking specifically about menstruating and how I'm in my early 30s and I have like debilitating cramps and how bad that sucks (laughs) and why is this a thing and that's kind of when I thought how come there's not more contemporary lady werewolf takes and that's where the idea came from so a lot of like anxiety spiraling about having a body and then here we are I love that one of my writing professors actually once was like Jessica you can't just be a brain in a jar under a sink I know that's like that's your fantasy but you can't just be a brain in a jar under a sink (laughs) because if you're brain in a jar under a sink you just get to think and nothing can hurt you and I think it's so interesting because in a way you've given us a power fantasy right there's a moment where Aurora is like oh yeah nothing can hurt me ever again And I loved that. And I couldn't help but wonder, did you ever think about your book when you were out and about in public and people kind of just sensed the vibe that you were being powerful and gave you space? I don't know if I've ever projected being powerful. (laughs) Maybe, but very rarely. I did have a moment. I was walking back from Comic-Con a few days ago to my hotel and I was in like a cute outfit and I was strutting down the street in New York City. I used to live there. I haven't been back in a few years. I was feeling good, feeling cool, confident. And then I got back to my hotel room and I realized I had red lipstick smeared all over my face. <laughs> Like the rare occasions where I'm walking down the street and I feel confident and powerful and good in my skin. I feel like something like that happens where I'm just like, oh, you were just a little bit delusional. And then it brings me back down to earth. I'm very self-conscious, self-deprecating gal. So yeah, I don't know if I would like to project power and confidence, but most of the time I feel like three sweaty frogs in a trench coat. (laughs) (laughs) We had a a really interesting conversation about this prior to getting on with you. And Jessica said, well, do you ever feel this way? Or like this, this feeling of power. I was saying I played rugby, so I had like this real need to tackle people once in a while. And it comes out, oddly enough, in like the frozen food section at the grocery store. Sounds about right. Yeah. Where, you know, I feel this ring. <laughs> I've seen that happen. <laughs> the fight over the last organic spinach. Like whatever it is, but like giving us Rory, like encompassing Rory, we get to 
feel that power. And I feel like that comes with age. And I feel like it comes with certain amounts of experience. You know, as a teacher, I was an elementary school teacher and a middle school teacher. And they literally, like the rule was when kids fought, that you were supposed to get between them. You couldn't touch either child, but you're supposed to get between the children and kind of block them out with your body. Like to maybe throw your yeah. shoulders around. And I just feel like as females, we don't talk enough about encompassing our being. I think that's what was so incredibly interesting interesting for both of us when this was a book about learning to love yourself. There's all these great themes in this book, but like how many times have we had a character that has really learned how to do that within the story that we're watching that transformation of character, which was incredibly interesting. The perfect read, by the way, I'm for Evan Maine for a fall Maine day next to the stove in October. It was so much fun to read. Can you read the first page for us? Sure. Oh, the cover is gorgeous. I haven't seen it. Show us the cover. Wow. I love that it's pink. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Maybe we should describe what the cover looks like for our listeners. It is a matte black background. And then in pink fun font, it says such sharp teeth. And then there's a red blood dripping moon with the silhouette of a werewolf. And it says a werewolf novel. And then Rachel Harrison, author of Cackle, also in pink. Yay! Yay! All right. First page. Moths flutter around the fluorescent bulb as it blinks into the dark outside the bar. I lean back and lift my gaze to the night. There's no light pollution out here, and the stars are fierce. The moon is full, so I give it a wink. Did you just wink at me? Ian's so tall, he blocks out the moon. When he's in front of you, there's nothing else. He's all there is. I did wink, I say, but not at you. Sorry. All right, he says. Glad we cleared that up. Apologies for any confusion. He doesn't say anything else. He turns away from me to exhale, releasing a calm river of smoke toward the parking lot. Are you disappointed? I ask him. Did I give you false hope for a second there? Well, yeah, but I've had false hope since we were 13, so I'm used to it, he says, turning back toward the light so I can see his good-natured grin. Yay. Are you your own audiobook narrator? You sound fantastic. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I don't think I could do it. I'm actually, like, not that great a reader, so the fact that I got through that without stumbling over my words is, like, a big accomplishment. <laughs> It's like, this is the perfect opening scene for this entire story. I love the wink of the moon. I love, you know that she's from away and she's back in the space, but she has this familiarity that we're just dropped into. So I think that's terrific. Thanks. Yeah. I'm really fussed over the opening pages of this book. I like how it kicks off too. I just love Rory and Ian together. And it's like a fun, sweet opening. And you know, things are like going to go south, but in the moment things are good. And I love that kind of dread in all my horror. Back to the full moon and the cycles. And it made me wonder if you relied on the feeling of PMS getting closer to the transformations around the moon. Oh, definitely. And I think it's a very easy parallel to make. And I'm so fascinated with control because I want control over everything in my life and over my body, and which is not something we have. No. And <laughs> yeah, not at all. And, you know, specifically feeling frustrated when I know my behavior isn't my behavior. It's coming from my body. Mm -hmm. And just being aware of it doesn't mean that you can change it. And it's so frustrating. And it's so easy to connect to lycanthropy and this like monstrousness where there are times I feel like a monster <laughs> and there's no easy fix. There's nothing I can really do about it, but just 
try to accept it and figure out the best way I can to cope. And I think a lot of people who menstruate feel that way. A lot of people in general feel that way. You know, people who have anxiety or mood disorders or chronic illnesses, just these things that we can't control. And it's hard to talk about. There's a lot of shame that comes around talking about our bodies and our experiences. And so to kind of get the catharsis of writing about that through while having the ability to escape into a fantasy or a story about werewolves was really fun and felt really good. But it was so interesting to me. And I thought this was so genius of you. And so you had Rory and her twin sister and her twin sister is pregnant, which is also a transformation that you absolutely cannot control. And it's basically the time in your life where you are giving into nature, which is such a genius plot point, I thought. And I was always curious with that, did that come naturally to you to equate pregnancy as well? So we have the cycles and we have the breaking of the cycles. And then we have the sisters changing separately in their own ways. This is a great plot point. Thank you. So I did, again, because I'm so fascinated with control. And I just think pregnancy is so terrifying to me because you really are just relinquishing control of your body. So that was really interesting to me. And in general, if I'm going to be writing body horror, the idea that we are alone in our bodies and everything we experience, we experience in our own specific way and how scary and isolating that is. And having Scarlett's experience kind of mirror Rory's experience and they're identical twins. They're as close as you can be to being in the same body. That how frustrating and devastating it is to be going through something and trying to relate to somebody, but nobody can relate to your exact experience. So I wanted to touch on that in the book because I think that's just a part of being alive that we don't really get to deal with or to vocalize very often where we all experience things differently and the loneliness of that and the burden of that, it's tough. And that they don't have the twin intuition I thought was so interesting too. They're happy that they don't when bad things happen, but I thought that was interesting too because that in this scenario is probably the only thing that could get them closer to experiencing the other's reality. Can you talk about how to make a book scary? How did you learn how Mm. to do that? I don't know. (laughs) After my last two books, a lot of the feedback I have is that they're not scary. Like with my first book, The Return, which is probably my most like capital H horror book, I remember people telling me it was scary and I was like, it is? Okay, cool. I think I just put in a lot of my own fears and I also like to play around with dread a lot. So for me in Cackle, what makes it scary is the uncertainty of the relationship of the protagonist to Sophie, her friend, and if Sophie is really a friend or foe, to me, that kind of tension is scary. And in Such Sharp Teeth, the dread of a full moon is coming. Something bad is going to happen again. That dread and then the lack of control, which is, you know, my own fear through the transformations, just like nothing you can do can stop this and you're just going to have to tough it out as painful and horrific as it is. So to me, that's what's scary, a combination of dread and then my own internal fears that I try and put into my books. But I don't think a lot about like, how can I make this scary or how can I craft this scare? It comes up organically in the writing. So it's how you're feeling when you're writing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think also contrast might have something to do with it too, because you have these incredibly wonderful, very normal moments. They go to Starbucks. They go to Target. They're (laughs) doing all these suburban things. Ironically, it's the suburbs where things get dangerous. And it's so interesting to me that we have this tension because I know how I feel as a New Yorker when I'm out of the city and I'm in the suburbs and I almost get a visceral reaction to like, I can't do this. What's going on? This would never happen in the city, X, Y, and Z. And I think it's so interesting that it's almost 
like a paranormal. Now that this happens every full moon, there's no safe way to do this in the city. Her neighbors would hear, she has to get out, she needs a car, she can't have a car in the city. And I thought that was such an interesting way of making her feel trapped too. And I don't know if people who live in smaller towns and don't feel scared by them took that the same way, but for me, that was like a very multi-layered way of looking at it. And just the thought of having to give all that up is another way of feeling trapped. Yeah, I lived in Brooklyn for almost a decade and then I moved out to the burbs. So I think a lot of that was my fear of like, this is what I'm used to and how is it going to be when I'm someplace new working that out. In my first three books, it's very apparent that I'm dealing with that (laughs) transition. Any change that is out of your control that dictates where you live and how you live is really scary. Well, the setting was really well done. I felt very grounded and I felt like the setting was definitely a character in your book in the woods and the space. I'm curious, is this an imaginary town? Did you set this up specifically with the woods and the small town feel? Like how does setting work for you in your writing process? So to me, I was picturing a fictional town that I kind of built in my mind, but to me, it's very Jersey and that's where my hometown is. So my best friend was reading it and she texted me. She was like the corner pub really, which is like the bar in our Um, hometown where all of the like townies go. So it was kind of based on that, but it could be outside of just anywhere and within a radius of New York City. But this was my most tame setting. In my first two books, in Cackle, it's very like stars hollow, small town, super intense. And then there's like a mansion in the woods. And then in The Return, it's a very kitschy hotel based on the Madonna Inn in California. Mm -hmm. I do think finding an appropriate setting and backdrop for the story is the most fun. And sometimes the setting is a bigger character. Like I would say in my first two books, the setting was a big character. And in this book, the setting really just had to be a perfect place for these people to like ping pong around. It had to be the perfect backdrop. The setting knows it's the setting. And in my first two books, the setting is like, I'm the star. No, but just hearing it's the Madonna Hotel, now I want to read it because the contrast (laughs) must be fantastic. If I remember correctly, it's kitschy, it's 50s, it's bright flamingo pink. Yeah. And the idea of something terrifying happening there, love it. It's, yeah, I pitched it like, what if the overlook in The Shining looks like the Madonna Inn? And that's kind of how the idea for my first book, The Return, came about. It's interesting. Setting is so fun in horror because it can either be so totally normal that it's, like in this book, the setting is just very, like you said, Starbucks Target, which makes the horror seem more grounded and therefore scarier. And then in The Return, where the setting is so loud and bubblegum that the actual horror part is more unsettling because it's taking place in this pink themed room. Yeah, setting is really fun as a horror writer. There's a lot to play with. Yeah, let's talk genre because it feels to me like this is almost a total mashup of genre. Love, romance, and woman's fiction. And there's horror and there's so much in here. So was this pitched as horror? And did people try to fit you into a box? Right. It's been a bit of a struggle for my last two books because if you fit neatly into a genre, I think people really like it and they respond well because it's like, this is what this is. And for The Return, I think a little bit of trouble with The Return was there's a missing woman. So I think some people thought it was a thriller. And to me, this is horror. That's my book that fits the most neatly in a box. And then with Cackle, I've heard cozy horror, women's fiction. I think of all my books as horror or speculative fiction. And then with Such Sharp Teeth, I had already been working with my publisher 
publisher. So I didn't really need to like pitch. If you liked my first two, like this is kind of similar to that. So I don't know. It's tough. I really wish that I wrote more neatly. But or, you don't. But it's hard because I feel like readers want to know what they're signing up for, which is totally understandable. And for me, I'm like, well, do you have half an hour? Like <laughs> it takes a little bit to. And so I think I describe such sharp teeth as being like dark humor, body horror, and then a little bit of romance. Again, with Cackle, someone was like, I found it in the romance section. I found it in the fantasy section. <laughs> Like, not romance. <laughs> I don't consider it fantasy, but I don't know. It's tough. Tell us about your publishing journey. Writers are listening to this and they're always interested in how you got to this place you're at. And we are often here in our events. When you have this mashup, it's harder to sell, but it sounds obviously you're on book three. You're doing so well. Tell us about your publishing journey and how you get your agent and that first book deal. Please don't hate me because the story is like very fortuitous. So I had my first book, The Return, like a polished draft that I felt confident in. And I was about to like start querying. I had like my spreadsheet of agents and all that stuff. I workshopped my query letter and this was October of 2018. And there's a Twitter pitch contest called Pit Dark. And I was kind of waffling about whether or not I wanted to do it. And I went in with genuinely zero expectations, which is the first time in my life that I've like actually, like when you tell yourself you don't expect anything, but you still expect something. I really went in just like, we'll see what happens. And so I did the Twitter pitch contest and then got a great response. I got a lot of agent interest. And then I met my agent. The Twitter pitch contest was on Thursday. I met my agent on like a Monday. (laughs) Oh my God, drink. And like, oh my gosh. Yeah. For drinks? (laughs) You have, oh, I you was get this, the email like the next day Sunday. you'd have drinks. Sunday. So I went out with her and we met in person and we sat and talked for two hours and we just like clicked and she was everything I could ever want in an agent. And I don't know, I wish she ran the world because it would be a utopia. She's just so great. And so she and I started working together that Friday. I took off work and worked on the edits she gave me. And then I think a week later we went out on submission and then the Tuesday before for Thanksgiving, the book sold. But before everybody is like, oh, this girl, that was so lucky. And I cannot believe that happened. But then my debut did come out the first week of lockdown, March 2020. So it was kind of a balance, (laughs) like brilliant stroke of luck in terms of publishing career and then not so lucky in terms of timing for my debut. But overall, I'm incredibly fortunate. So I just think back and the fact that I almost didn't do the Twitter pitch contest. If you want to do this professionally, like always shoot your shot. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too, how you can trace back a lot of positive consequences to one decision. I think that's really great. Yeah. I have such a like visceral memory of that day too and that morning and you tweet your pitches and I tweeted one and then I was like, all right, I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to take myself out on a nice walk. It was a gorgeous fall day. I was walking down Eastern Parkway. And then I happened to look down at my phone and I had a ton of notifications and I, was like, <laughs> and I ran back home. And yeah, it was a really special day and it's just a incredibly lucky time. And I think, what do they say? Opportunity meets preparedness or is luck or whatever. So I was prepared. I think if my manuscript wasn't in good shape or if I didn't know what I was looking for in an agent, if that opportunity came up and I hadn't been prepared, then maybe it would be a different result. But it was very lucky. I love that though. I love that you put in the work and then it all came together on a beautiful autumn day. Yeah. I mean, it goes to show you that everyone's journey is so different and doesn't make one or the other and there's ups and downs, but it's an interesting ride. You know, it's so wild to hear about how different people's journeys, how they're all different and 
it's always, you know, I feel kind of like a jerk when I tell my story because it seems like it happened so easy, but there was like a lot of work leading up to it. There's suffering. <laughs> if, if you choose to be a writer, there is suffering on every level, but there's also some beautiful moments of luck too and just good fortune and good people. So it balances out. Good. May I ask, do you have a background in literary fiction? Because even though this is scary, some of your sentences are so darn beautiful. Thank you. I actually have a background in screenwriting. Oh. And because of that, when I started transitioning into prose, my prose was actually very weak because I was used to being like, this person says this and the dialogue, da, 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 da. And then there's just like, you know, and then this person goes into this room. And so I didn't really give much thought to my sentences. And because of that, I took a class, I think I took it twice, classic catapult with the author Rebecca Schiff, who wrote The Bed Moved, and it was about how to craft a beautiful sentence. And that class really changed my writing and how I approached writing. And so now I think a lot about crafting sentences. And so I appreciate you saying that because <laughs> I put a lot of care and thought into it. No, but, I was seriously going to guess you were straight from an MFA. Well, that's uh. funny because I was going to guess you had some screenwriting stuff in you. Yeah, my dialogue is like if I could just write dialogue. <laughs> I would. Well, I think for me, the clue was that it was so incredibly contained. This could just show up in a set and I hope so. three <laughs> and you only have this many spaces you have to go to and you only have this many settings. And so I was like, oh, I hope this has been optioned. I hope it gets optioned. Yeah. I feel like everybody has their goals and the bar always moves, but I'm itching for an adaptation of my works. So I hope, and yeah, and I try and make it easy. I'm like, there's only these many, this many locations. Do <laughs> you like the distillery? The distillery yeah. is very cool. And I often know the metaphors were really good. Every once in a while, I'd be like, gosh, I'm like, I can't steal it. I want to steal that metaphor. <laughs> and go for it. <laughs> it's so funny. But that's, I think, when you're a writer, those are things you do notice. Like, describe it like this in a totally not different way that we're completely there. And there's a question on the email this morning, or maybe it was on Twitter, but it was someone getting down about their drafts. I'm like, you can take a bad draft and then you stylize it, just go through and paint those things. So in your process, what is your editing and re revision process? Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? Do you have messy first drafts? Do you have complete first drafts that are just close? Tell us about that. So. I usually, I think it varies a little bit with the return and such sharp teeth. I kind of had a vague outline of like where I thought it was going to go, but I'm a speed drafter. Like I need to get a down draft. I have the concept and then I find the character and the voice because I write first person present. It's almost like stepping into a role, like stepping into a character. I sit down and like I was Rory and I speed draft. It takes me a couple months to put like a down draft and then I'll go back and clean it up and I have an amazing editor who will then give me notes and then we'll revise together. But I very much like to get that solid downdraft. And I can always tell there's been times where I've gotten like 30,000 words into a downdraft and been like, it's not you and had to like abandon it. I kind of wish I was more of a outliner and I could tell from the outline if it's going to work or not. But really, I have to just write it to figure out if it's going to click or if it's mm -hmm. not going to click. So I have a graveyard folder with a lot of sad. Is it easier to <laughs> kill your darlings if you're 
Teen horror. <laughs> That's funny. I'm not, a, I'm not a particular, maybe my books aren't super brutal, at least not the first three. So I haven't really killed off anybody that I've been like, oh, my darling. Usually it's a fair balance. None of my books have been crazy, bleak or violent, maybe in the future. I do think it's a little bit easier to write conflict in horror, which is why I like it. It's kind of like a cheat. There's a lot of conflict that's already there. So it's fun. And then there's monsters, which is fun. Do you have any general advice for the writers out there? Like things that you wish you knew going in, things that were different than you thought they were going to be? I think I always say that it's a marathon. There's no finish line. I think when I was writing before I came out with The Return, I felt embarrassed to tell people I was a writer because I felt like they didn't take me seriously or like, well, what have you written? But I was getting up every day and I was writing. Like I was a writer. And I remember going into a bookstore after The Return came out and being like, that's my book. Should I sign it? And I remember the people at the bookstore just were like, yeah, okay. I kind of <laughs> thought there was going to be excitement. I don't know why. Maybe that's like a delusional thing to think. No, I would like, expected that too. It's just interesting. There's no making it. I think if you are writing every day and you love it, you're a writer. It's a long road and you can celebrate certain benchmarks along the way. But even writers who I really look up to, who I've been around or had the privilege of talking to, they don't feel like, well, I've made it now. There's no sitting pretty. There's no complete kick up your shoes and just like, I've done it. It's the love of the craft. And that really just has to carry you through. And you're a writer now. If you write, you're a writer and you're doing it. And a lot of it is just love and persistence if you want to be published. Yeah, I think when I was starting out, I thought, oh, you know, I'm not taken seriously now, but I will be taken seriously. Or if only I get an agent, if only I get published. Well, now I'm like, if only I have an adaptation. I'm in general happier when, like I'll be happier when, I'll be happy if. And I think to try and banish that thinking when you're starting out in your career, there's always going to be a new challenge. I still don't feel like I'm taken seriously. A lot of it is in internal and to just believe in yourself, love it, and not create these platforms or these, well, if only, if only, if only. You'll feel different when you get there. So something else has to sustain you besides like a fantasy of making it, air quotes. Could you just tell us a cool story about something ha that happened anywhere along your journey? My writing journey? Or even well, you as a person journey is fine too. Me as a, something cool that's happened to me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One of the coolest things thus far was Cackle, was Barnes & Noble. September speculative fiction pack. So walk into a Barnes and Noble and see it on a table and to get like tagged in pictures of Barnes and Nobles across the country. And then also like the Barnes and Nobles that I used to go to in Brooklyn because I would go to those Barnes and Nobles for years while I was pursuing writing. And then so to see pictures of it there was really special. So that was really cool. And you hang on to those moments. And another cool thing is somebody got a tattoo of <laughs> character in, in cackle wow that was really cool wow great tattoo it's super cool oh my gosh that is amazing and yeah and i think that's surreal that's just like they're gonna live with it forever i know i'm always down on myself and my husband was like your book could change someone's life and i was kind of like i don't think so and then so to see that i was like okay he was right like that's cool they cared enough about it so that was another cool thing that happened to me but most of the time i'm running around with lipstick smudged over my face <laughs> So, <laughs> but, but of all the wardrobe malfunctions, I love that yours looks kind of like blood. Yeah. I was like, they probably thought I was like somewhere like making out and really. Right. I, had, I was at Comic-Con. I put on red lipstick because I don't know. And then I had my mask on. And so when I left Comic-Con and was walking and I took my mask off. Yeah, that's what it was. But awesome. at least I didn't 
meet somebody famous at Comic-Con with like lipsticks and smudged over. So we would love, love, love to give away a free copy of your book. We can do an e-copy if you're out of the country or we can send you a book within the States. We always ask our writers for a secret code word where the first person that emails us gets the book. Do you have a code word? Hot dog. Hot dog. <laughs> I love I that point where she's like, like, I want all the hot dogs. We know yeah. the reference to the hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, alert. you want all the hot all dogs? The, I want all, all the hot, hot dogs. Hot dog. <laughs> that was okay. Oh my God. That was great. Okay. So the first person who emails academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with hot dog and the subject line will get a copy of Such Sharp Teeth. Thank you so much, Rachel. This was a treat to read. Really wonderful to talk with you. Just appreciate the whole experience. Thank you so much. This was so fun. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.